Hey, we're going to continue in a series that we started a few weeks back, looking through a small letter in the New Testament called Second Timothy. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn with me today, Second Timothy chapter 2, page 995, if you're using this Bible sitting in front of you, as we consider this idea of the promise of life that God offers to us, especially in the face of whatever darkness you may encounter. So we're going to continue to look at this today. While you're turning there, I'm glad to be back. I wasn't able to be here last week. Well, I chose not to be here last week. How about it that way? Because I decided to take a week of vacation. And so I vacated for a bit. I went with my son for part of that, and we went over to Black Butte, and we did a little hike on top of the actual Black Butte. Just like uh, you drive up there and then a two-mile hike. And uh, anyway, beautiful view from up there to see the creation, the sisters and Jefferson and, and uh, uh, Mount Hood and all that. Just beautiful up there. Anyway, we had a, Adam and I had a great time. The next day we went to Smith Rock. Raise your hand if you've been to Smith Rock. I had never been to Smith Rock. Man, wow, a lot of you. I had hiked that Black Butte three times, but I'd never been to Smith Rock before. And so we did the little hike up Misery Hill or Misery Ridge or something like that. Uh, that was a little misery. And uh, then that mountain there is called like Monkey Face or something like that. Is that right? And uh, man, you see these people actually climbing that rock. That was quite crazy, but beautiful creation. And uh, Adam and I had a good time and did some other things during the week. But anyway, good to be back. I want to thank Pastor Mike for preaching last week so that I could take that time off. Mike shared last week about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowers us. And it's still quite mysterious how God works in the life of the believer of Jesus Christ. As we, he taught about that as he looked at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Today we're going to continue in this study. Look at this fascinating letter written by one of the early church missionaries. He was a church planter. His name is Paul. And he was imprisoned in Rome. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. He's imprisoned in Rome. Specifically, many people believe that he was imprisoned in this exact prison where this picture is taken. You could go there today if you get to Rome and go into that place. And Paul writes this letter. It becomes his final letter to Timothy before his own death or specifically his own execution. So as we read these letters, I think it's important to understand where Paul is and what's in front of him as we look back at this story. He's writing this to an, to an apprentice named Timothy. And what he's doing here is he's doing some contemplation in the dungeon. Contemplation in the dungeon. And, and we get some of the inspired words here that he wrote here. But as he contemplates, some of this is positive. Look at, back at chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter. Just go back a chapter there. And he says, here's who I am, Paul, by the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, he knows he's going to be executed. He knows that's coming. But he says, here's what I am. I'm this man who has this promise of life. And I've been given this life now with Jesus, but I've got a life to come with Jesus. And so positively speaking, as he's contemplating in the dungeon, he says, I know there's a promise of life through Jesus Christ. 
This was his hope. This helps him to endure the difficulties that he's facing. And I'll say that many of us in this room, we would say, this is my hope, not the dungeon. My hope is the promise of life through Jesus Christ. Many of you have said, I've turned my life over to Jesus, and I now have this promise of life now, and I will die, and I will have life to come with Jesus. But while he's in the dungeon as well, there's some negative thoughts that I imagine come into his mind and his heart, and he's like, I've landed in a dungeon. I've landed in a prison cell. And maybe you're even here today and you're thinking, you know what, there's a promise of life and that is good and I'm in a good place. But maybe there's something in your heart or your mind that says, I'm in a dungeon right now. And these words are for us today as we consider the promise of life and even the fact that there might be a dungeon that we are in. Before we read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, I just want to finish chapter 1. So would you go with me to chapter 1, verse 15. As we go through this letter over the next few weeks, I just want to cover every word of it. And I want to just read a few verses to finish off chapter 1. Paul says this, You, Timothy, are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. That sounds depressing, doesn't it? among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then in verse 16 he says, May the Lord grant mercy, though, to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. As I read those two verses, and it's like, I'm not sure what I get out of those two verses, but I think in Paul's contemplation, I think he's saying a couple things. One, some people have hurt me. Just, here's the fact of the matter. And maybe as you're sitting there considering your own life today, there are some people who have hurt you. We all have this in common. Some people have hurt me. And in times of self-pity, we all get there, and maybe this is a little what Paul is going through. We can name people who have hurt us. You could probably start making a list of your Phygaluses and Hermogenuses and just say, these are the people who have hurted me, hurted, hurt me. I'm glad you're listening. <laughs> hurted me. We'll have to X that out for the website. So Anyway. But he says this, he says, all in Asia have deserted me. You ever do this? You're just like, everybody's against me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'm going to go eat worms, you know. Yeah, and, and maybe he's feeling a little bit of that. That's some of his humanity. He's just saying, all of Asia has turned against me. In troubled times, I think it's pretty easy for us to just make a list and say, all of these people have turned against me. But notice this, that Paul quickly considers the other side of the coin, and he says, some people have blessed me. I know that some people have hurt me, but some people have blessed me. And he spends more thought, and he spends more time talking about a man named Onesiphorus, because what he's doing is he's choosing to be positive. He's choosing to be grateful. Choice you and I have every single day. Think of all the people that have hurt us or to spend time saying, you know what, I'm going to think about how I have been blessed. And a quick question for you before we even dive into the heart of all this today is this. Where do you spend more focus when going through tough times? Where does your mind spend more focus when going through tough times? Just all the people and all the things that are against you or are you choosing to count your blessings? 
Look at Paul here, and he's sitting in this dungeon, and he's like, there are people who have hurt me, but there are people who have blessed me. And he gets back to encouraging Timothy and speaking into Timothy's life, and I want to look at that here, because he knows that Timothy's going to face difficulties. Timothy is going to face persecution. He knows that Timothy is going to face a rough life. There are going to be people that hurt him. And he says, I've got some words for you, Timothy. Because you can just expect this, not only as a follower of Jesus, but just because you live as part of the human race. You are going to be hurt, and I've got some words for you. And so with that, I want us to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, on page 995. These are some interesting words where I want to spend some time with. We're going to look at the first nine verses here of this chapter. But what I'm going to do before I read them and I uh, go over them with you, I'm going to have one of my Timothys, one of the guys I've been investing with a little bit, come up here and quote to us, because he's been working on it, quote to us 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Give it up for Mr. Dylan Ferguson, (laughs) a.k.a. Timothy. Thanks, Paul. Okay. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) It says, uh, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Uh, It says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, Anyone serving as a soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone competing as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crop. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Amen. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 9. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. We were working on that about a year ago, and when I got to this, I thought, oh, he's got to share that to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thank you, Dylan. As Paul's writing this, knowing that there are some people who have turned away, Knowing that there are some people who have stayed true, Paul writes these things and he says this, to fully experience this promise of life. This is this promise of life I know. To fully experience the promise of life, look at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to write it down this way if you're taking notes. First, he's saying, be empowered, Timothy, by the grace of Jesus. Be empowered by the grace of Jesus. You see, the Christian life is not you grin and bear it for one more week. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not you toughen up and go get them this week. That's not it. The Christian life is not you be strong enough and you be good enough. It's not that. Some of your Bibles might even be say, be strong in Christ Jesus. But really what that word is saying is that you, Timothy, you need to be strengthened by God. You need to be empowered by Him. This is not on you just to say, I can do it. It's you, Timothy, going before God and saying, God, would you strengthen me? God, would you empower me every single day? And this happens through the Holy Spirit. 
If you were here last week, we learned about the Holy Spirit. And you can read some of that at the end of chapter 1 there. But this is where we get this power. And so Paul says, when you're going to face trials in life, to get this promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, first of all, be empowered by the grace of Jesus, which comes through the Holy Spirit. Write this down, you note takers, chapter 1, verse 7. You can look there real quickly, and it says this, so we have been given a spirit. Believers in Jesus Christ, we've been given a spirit. It's not a fearful spirit. It's not a timid spirit, but it's a spirit of power. This is the Holy Spirit that comes in you when you receive Jesus as your Savior. I can't explain it all, but I know it happens. And he gives power. This is where we get the word dynamite. He says this is dynamic power that God gives to you. And Paul is saying this, in essence, in, in order to have staying power in a world that will beat you down, you have to allow yourself to be empowered by God. You have to allow yourself to be empowered by God. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of my phone, all right? Got this phone here a couple years ago, old iPhone, and this thing uh, wears down constantly, right? It loses power a lot. So a couple years ago, when I went to Verizon, I said, I'd like to buy this phone. And because it was an old model, I think I got it for 99 cents. What a good deal. But they said, what we have to do initially is it doesn't work. We have to empower it for the very first time. We have to make it come alive. Does that make sense? It wasn't really a phone. It looked like a phone, but it was just a a mechanical piece that did not have life in it. Similarly to us. Until it receives power for the very first time. For you and I, it was saying, Jesus, I need you. And we get empowered for the very first time. After that, they said, now your phone has life. I found out that that meant it was for about a day. Okay, because my phone has to be empowered over and over and over again. My phone, like yours though, cannot, when it runs down, just say, I need to go charge. Okay, it cannot do that on its own. It needs to be empowered, but it has that, it does not have that ability, does it? It does have a little signal that sends me and it says, you now have 20% battery life left. All right? So it sends me a signal saying, you need to empower me. I think sometimes you and I, we have that signal too. If we've been empowered as believers in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, every once in a while it seems like we run down. And it's not just a tiredness that we need more sleep or a tiredness where we need more coffee, but there's something in our spirit that runs down and we get a little more grumpy. We get a little more impatient. We lack love. We start complaining. You might not notice it, but everybody else sees the button on your forehead that says, boop, lacks power, down to 20%. And when my phone says that, I take my phone and I plug it in most of the time, all right? And it gets, it gets empowered again. Paul is saying this to Timothy. Listen, Timothy, here's what you need to do. You need to be empowered. You need to be strengthened by God. This is your responsibility. Okay? God has come into your life. It's a powerful spirit. But you, when your spirit gets tired and worn down, you have this responsibility to reconnect, to be empowered. You have to pursue this, Timothy. It's this idea of saying, God, I need you. Calling out in a prayer. I think sometimes we do this church on Sunday just to say, I need to refocus my life for another week. It's reading your Bible. It's talking to God. Whatever it is, it is saying, God, I need you. And this is one of our responsibilities. 
Because in order to have staying power in a world that will constantly beat you down, catch this, you have to allow yourself to be empowered by God. So again, he's talking about to fully experience this promise of life. Go to verse 2, if you would. He says, Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, here's your job, entrust. Entrust what you've heard to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Secondly, he says this, take what you have learned, Timothy, and invest. Take what you have learned, Timothy, and invest in others. We talked about this a little bit on Mother's Day. Parents, we have a job to invest in our children. Paul is saying this to Timothy. He says, I'm about to be done. This is your job, Timothy, to invest. You see, we become part of God's family through faith in Jesus, and then God empowers us to grow, and then God empowers us to invest. That is part of our responsibility. He says, invest in others. God's plan for you is to grow up, And then to reproduce. He says, I want you to grow up, but I want you to reproduce. Look at the front of your worship program, if you would. It says welcome, but then it says this. Here's who we are. We are people growing closer to God. And here's that investing, helping others along the way. It's not just picking up some trash here and there, but investing into people's lives, getting to know them and investing in them. And so one of our constant challenges, even as a church, is how do we help people grow? Then how do we help people to invest? So verse 2, he says, take what you've learned, Timothy, and invest. But he also says this, take what you've learned, look at verse 3, and share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In other words, take what you've learned, Timothy, and endure hardship. So you've learned some things, Timothy, and now invest. But I want to tell you this. Take what you've learned and endure hardships. I want you to suffer in a certain manner. This is going to be your job to handle hardships. Again, we've become part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. And God empowers us to grow. But then God also empowers us to endure hardships. In essence, he is saying, be ready for suffering. Timothy, be ready for suffering. This is what the Apostle Paul tells to him. I know Timothy did not want to hear that necessarily. What? I guess I am getting a letter from a man who's about to be executed. Maybe he has already been executed by the time Timothy gets this. Be ready for suffering. Timothy didn't want to hear this. I imagine that the new principal of Albany Christian School doesn't want to hear this. None of us want to hear this. But be ready for suffering. Not just because we live in a broken world, but anyone who wants to live a godly life is going to face persecution. Paul says to Timothy, be ready for suffering. Look at verse 4. Then he gives three different pictures of being ready for suffering. He says this, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. He's going to talk about a soldier who suffers. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. 
You see, in order to experience this power of life and to have staying power in a life that is going to wear you down, you have to allow yourself to be empowered by God, and then you have to expect suffering. Say, okay, God, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to empower me. And not only will I need that, but I expect life to be difficult. Look at verse 7 then, because Paul says, Timothy, I want you to think over what I say here, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And in fact, as we look at those verses 4, 5, and 6 here, I believe that the Lord will give you understanding in, in this as I speak. Some of this is my understanding, but God will give you understanding, especially as you look through that this week. God will give you understanding. So let's consider verses 4, 5, and 6 real quickly. Let's consider a soldier. Consider your own life and consider the life of a soldier. Because in some regards, you are a soldier. A soldier is somebody enlisted by their government to go on a mission. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are enlisted by God to go on a mission, right? Eh, Not necessarily to Mexico or Sierra Leone, but we are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ right here in the Willamette Valley. You are enlisted by God with a mission And a soldier is concerned with what the commanding officer says. The soldier says, what are my orders? I will obey those orders. There are a lot of other things and voices that a soldier could hear, but he says, I've got to obey the commanding officer. You and I, we get caught up with a lot of things, don't we? The commanding officer has given us instructions. And you and I get caught up with a lot of things. And I'd like to say it this way, that soldiers have to fight against distraction. Soldier makes it his aim. I will listen and obey my commanding officer. Put away other distractions so that I can follow the orders. And I think one of the things that Timothy is saying here, as a soldier of Christ Jesus, you've got to fight against distractions. They might be things like fantasy football or whatever. I was telling first service this, that yesterday I had to practice this a little bit and say, are there really that many distractions in life? So I sat in front of a television for a while, okay? And I sat in front of the television and I said, oh, hey, there's golf on TV. And then I noticed that there's baseball on TV. There's actually basketball later in the night on TV. There was NASCAR. I never watched NASCAR, but it looked like good race. And I was doing a little study of, of how easily we could get distracted And while I'm channel surfing, Toy Story comes on. How can you not like that? And before long, the day's kind of over, and I'm saying, you know what? I was distracted a lot today. There were things I wanted to do, and I did get some of the housework done, things like that. But there's a lot of distractions, a lot of distractions in life. Paul says, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, we, we are called to obey our commanding officer and fight against the distractions. I don't know what your distractions are. Some of them might be my distractions. But if we're going to experience this promise of life, you've got to avoid and fight against these distractions. You see, when you and I get more concerned with the pursuits of the world and the things of the world, and there's so many of them, if we pursue our desires or our plans, this is what I want, then we would see that the way of Jesus and the way of suffering is really cramping our style. It's like, wait a second, my life and my desires seem fun. The way of Jesus could involve suffering. I just don't want to do that. But a good soldier says, no, I'm going to listen to my commanding officer. 
And if you take your eyes off the commanding officer, when I take my eyes off the commanding officer, and we focus on whatever our own mission might be, I'll tell you this, that in times of trouble, you will more than likely be tempted to wander away from God. I've done this at times. I know almost all of you have. There are people in our church that they've wandered away from God. Why? Because they said, you know what, I'm going to stop listening to the commanding officer and I'm just going to pursue all these distractions. And Paul's saying to Timothy, watch out for this. But if you would keep your eyes on the commanding officer, I'll tell you specifically, in times of trial, you will be more likely to stay close to God. Does that make sense? Then he says this in verse 5. He says, well, let me compare your life to an athlete. An athlete is not crowned, he says in verse 5, unless he competes according to the rules. Consider the athlete, he says, as you consider your own life. Some of you are going, I'm not an athlete. Eh, You are an athlete. You are an athlete. Because an athlete pursues to win a prize. An athlete competes. An athlete seeks to be victorious. You and I, we're in a race ourselves. Write this passage down in case you didn't think you were an athlete. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. You can read a few verses there. He says we're athletes. We're in a race. And we compete. And an athlete only wins the crown or the prize if she or he, he or she has competed according to the rules. And so an athlete fights against disqualification. I think as we look at this, Paul is saying, listen, here's an, what an athlete does. They, they want to win, but they've got to fight against this thing about being disqualified. An athlete, as they prepare for a season or prepare for a game or prepare for a battle, they really have two choices, don't they? I'm going to do it the right way in training, or I'm going to take shortcuts. I'm going to follow my commitments, or I'm going to bag out on my commitments. And these battles and these seasons of pressure, they expose our character. They do for athletes. And I think Paul is saying, Timothy, there's a crown of life coming for you. There is a crown of life coming for you. And in a season of pressure, don't let yourself be disqualified. You and me, there is a crown of life coming. Did you know that? A crown of life coming. And in a season of pressure, don't let yourself be disqualified. If you would take your eyes off of the prize of God and you'd focus on any other prize, you say, oh, well, that's my prize I want to go for. I'll tell you what, in times of trouble, you will more than likely wander away from God if your prize is anything less than God. But when you and I, when our prize is God, when trials come, you'll be more likely to stay close to God. Verse 6, he then says this, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He says, consider the farmer. Consider your life as a farmer. Yesterday I was out there with my beloved raspberry plants. I saw a red raspberry yesterday. I'm like, yes! I thought I wanted to get a little more red. But I tell you, if any of my kids goes and gets that thing, I'm the one who's been tending those things, right? Anyway, I don't think, okay, I... Just don't mess with my raspberry plants. All right. Anyway, but you and I, we're planters, not necessarily of raspberries or grass seed or whatever it might be, but we are planters and cultivators. We do that with our families. And planting and farming takes time. It takes energy. It takes patience. It takes 
faithfulness. And I think what farmers fight against, and one of the things that Paul is saying is that farmers fight against discouragement. Will anything really come up out of the ground? Plant the seed? Will this really happen? The the farmer has difficult work. Prepare the ground, plant the seed, and then trust God. Trust God that that seed will actually do what it's supposed to do. To trust God that the sun will come at the right time. To trust God that the rain will come at the right time. There's a lot of trust. And sometimes that gets discouraging. Like, I've done everything I can do, but I'm relying on God in this. Some of you are doing that with your kids and your grandkids. You say, I've done everything I think I can do. I've planted, and now I'm just I'm trusting God. And you get discouraged A farmer can get discouraged. You see, the farmer has this uh, difficult work and these tough times, they can expose a lack of patience or a lack of faith. Here's a question for you. Will we labor hard and trust God or will we give up? Will we labor hard in, in whatever that is, the investment of people, the investment in your own sobriety, whatever it is, will we work hard and trust God or, or will we give up? And at times you and I want to give up. Will we trust God and invest in that marriage that is very difficult or will we give up on it? Will you trust God and invest in the relationship with your kids and grand, grandkids or will you give up on it? And if you consider the farmer, they say, I, I just can't give up on it. This is my livelihood. Just going to do my work and, and trust God. Write this passage down if you would. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We looked at it about a month ago. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. You then stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. You might not see it today or tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And if you and I have a very short view of life, like I don't see the things I'm praying for, I don't see it this week. If you have a short view of life, then you will likely in a season of trouble just say, I'm going to wander away from God and give up on him. But if you have a longer view of life and if you have patience and say, when the times of trouble come, you know what, I'm going to keep trusting God then I'm confident during those tough seasons, you will stay close to God if you have a longer view of what God is doing. And so if you have this longer view of life, like a patient farmer and trusting in God, in times of trouble, you'll stay close to him. I think Paul is saying there's difficulties for soldiers, there's difficulties for athletes, there's difficulties for farmers, but here's the great thing, there's a great reward coming. There's a great reward coming. You see, for the soldier, if he does everything he's supposed to do, he's going to hear words like, well done, soldier. If the athlete does everything they're supposed to do in training and working hard, they can receive the prize. If the farmer does everything he's supposed to do, he's going to receive some of the crop. Rejoice in that. Think about us for a minute. We're going to hear those words as a good soldier. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? You're going to receive a victorious crown as a follower of Jesus. You're going to, maybe in this life, but certainly in the next life, see what was all of this investment about? Oh, you'll get to see part of that crop, that reward. 
Look over to chapter 4, verse 7 real quickly. And this will be my commercial to read this letter each week. I was reading again this letter this week. I've read it before. I'm not preaching on sec- or, uh, chapter 4 this week. But when I got to chapter 4, I'm just like, I just need to ingest this for myself. When I got to chapter 4, verse 7, look at these words. He's about ready to conclude this letter. He understands this is probably his last letter. He says these words, I have fought the good fight. That's soldier language, isn't it? I have finished the race. That's athlete language, isn't it? I have kept the faith. That's farmer language. I've been faithful. (laughs) And he goes back to this. And the idea is Timothy and, and church, let yourself be empowered by God in the face of suffering. And then Paul finishes with these words, verse 8 and 9. Look at verse 8, if you would. He says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Let me give you these two words, and I would hope these are two words that you would preach to yourself this week, that you, these two words you'd preach to yourself really for the rest of your life. Remember Jesus. Paul says this to Timothy, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. You see, here's the key to suffering well, because you and I are going to suffer. Remember Jesus. Here's the key to enduring hardship, because we're going to have hardships. Remember Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, write this passage down if you would too. Hebrews chapter 12 says, consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men. You consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews says, I know that you're going to grow weary. I know that you want to lose heart. But you consider Jesus. Your question might be, well, what am I supposed to consider about him? What am I supposed to remember about him? Paul gives a couple things in this letter to Timothy, and he could have written a lot to say, remember Jesus, and then... But he really said just a couple things. He said, first, risen from the dead. Risen from the dead. Well, that's important. It means that Jesus is alive. If he was dead and he's risen from the dead, it means he's alive. That's a good thing. But secondly, it means he's victorious. The enemy didn't defeat him. The crucifixion didn't defeat him. Jesus is victorious. You remember Jesus in your troubles. You remember Jesus in your hardships because he is alive and he is victorious. When I pray for some of you at various times, some of the things I pray is, God, help this person know that you are with them and that you love them. The idea with them means, God, you are alive. You are with them in this trouble. You're with them in this difficulty. And that you have this great love for them. And Paul says, I want you to remember Jesus. He's raised from the dead. He's alive. You remember this this week as you go through a trial. You have Jesus, the risen Savior, at your side. He's with you. And then he says one more thing about Jesus. And he could have said a lot. He could have called him the miracle worker or the healer, born of a virgin. He could have said a bunch of things, but he says this weird thing, offspring of David. Why did he say that? 
I mean, I might be more comforted if he says, oh, he was a friend of sinners. Oh, that's what I need. <laughs> Offspring of David? I think it means a couple things. Points to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. He says, listen, really, you're in a story that's much bigger than yourself. You see, 2,000 years ago, Paul's writing this to Timothy, and he says, he's the offspring of David because 1,000, 1,500 years ago, God promised through David, King David said, I'm going to bring a king through your line, and he will make all things right. There will be healing of nations. I have this covenant love for you. And when he says this, he's saying a couple things. He says, he's not only the long-awaited Messiah, but it implies God's covenant is fulfilled This faithful God who is with you, he's been faithful to his people all along. Son of David, that's the God who's cared about us for a few thousand years? Yes, that God. You're in that story. You see, this is more than just you. You're part of a great story. You remember Jesus who is alive, who's victorious, but he's part of this long story to show the faithfulness of God. And then Paul says these words, this is my gospel. This is my good news. I'm in a dungeon. I'm about ready to be executed, but this is my gospel. This Jesus who's victorious, this is my good news. I'm about ready to die. But he says, this is my good news. The victorious Jesus, the promise of God, you see, this is my victory proclamation. That word gospel can mean good news, but it's even greater than that. He says, that's my victory proclamation. That moments before they kill me, I will say, I remember Jesus, and that's where my victory is. Whatever your trial is this week, that's your victory proclamation. Not that your, not that your trial will just go away that you'll get a new job and get new co-workers or that your bank account will get right. Your victory proclamation is Jesus and that he is with you and that he's victorious and he's faithful to you and he will be forever and ever and ever. Amen. Is that good news? So remember Jesus as you suffer. I say that to myself. Remember Jesus as you suffer. Let me finish with a question then today, and it's this, how am I suffering? Because Paul was suffering, and he expects Timothy to have more suffering. My question for you is, how am I suffering? I want you to consider this for yourself. How am I suffering? And I'm not asking today in which ways you are suffering. I'm not asking which way your body aches or how your relationships are bad. I'm not asking about that kind of suffering. I'm asking today, how are you handling suffering. How are you suffering? And I would ask you to ask yourself, am I looking to Jesus? Am I looking to Jesus? Your body's broken, look to Jesus. Your relationships are broken, look to Jesus. Finances are broken, look to Jesus. Facing persecution, look to Jesus. What do I what am I looking at? I'm looking at the one who's alive. I'm looking at the one who's victorious. I'm looking at the one who is faithful. And I'm saying, will you, Jesus, empower me in my suffering? Will you, Jesus, help me through this? Will you strengthen me? And I, here's what's going to happen as you and I, as we consider him, and as we call out to him and say, God, help, uh, help us. As we rely on him, say to yourself these words, 
he will help me to suffer well. He will. He will help me to suffer well. How am I suffering? I hope it's by looking to Jesus. I look out and I know some of your stories and I know there's suffering going on. How are you suffering? I'm hoping that you continue to look to Jesus. If not now, that you would start now. And as you do this, I want you to know that Jesus will help you to suffer well. You're like, is there another option? (laughs) You're going to face some suffering. I am too. But we can suffer well because of this promise of life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and reflect on this with me a little bit. Because I know some of you are doing about everything you can to avoid suffering. And that's not the goal. The goal is to look to our commanding officer to not take shortcuts, to be faithful. And say, God, I need you to empower me. I need you to strengthen me. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he will. Maybe for some of you, for the first time, you're saying, I need this power. I need this Jesus. And he simply says, if you ask, I will enter your life and I will give you the supernatural power today and for the rest of your life and for all eternity. And for many of you who have this power, maybe you know that your battery says low on power, 20% or less. It's a mystery how this happens, but we say, Jesus, empower us, strengthen us. And he says, I do, and I will. And he says, continue to remember me. Continue to call out to me. Continue to consider me in all things. Rely on me for everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your steps. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Paul. How you empowered him to be positive, to see the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for his investment into Timothy and then to us. I look forward to a family reunion one day where we will say thank you and then ultimately we will say thank you to you, God, and Jesus for going to the cross on our behalf. But until then, God, would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you help me? Would you help my brothers and sisters in all things to look to you? And I hear you saying today, I got you. I will carry you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God, help us to have faith. Help us to trust. Help us to fix our eyes on you in the good times, but especially in those difficult times. So thank you for being a God of love, a faithful God. We love you and we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.